What's up? Good to go. Are we good to go, Grambo? Are we live? We're on it. Oh, we're on it, brother. All right. Well, let's do this. We've got a hot panel. Let's separate fact from fiction when it comes to cannabis genetics. We've got a great panel today, guys. Um, let's get into some real science. Separate it from the bro science and get ready to take yeah. notes. Classes in. We've got a PhD, yo. PhD, Scotty. What's up, Scotty? How are you? I'm great, man. I'm really excited about this one. I, I assembled this panel and I was trying, I've got some really good breeders with me. And then I've got Dr. Christian, my scientist here, man. So first off, uh, Christian, Doc, Dr. Christian, I call you, man. At a, I've never said your last name. How do you say your last name? Oh, that's pretty easy. Man, uh, I found, uh, what was the, hang on. It was called, what was your... Intraplant genetic diversity in cannabis, clone, not a clone, the plant genome webinar. And I never watch an entire video. I watched this entire video several times and there was a lot of knowledge being dropped and a lot of science, man. So uh, I wanted to ask you about it and I wanted to, I needed some help, man. So I got my smarter friends, man, my breeder friends here. First up, Brad, Raw Genetics. What's up, brother? Just uh, hanging out today. How's it going for you guys? It's going great, man. I'm psyched about this. We were all talking beforehand, and there were so many questions being fired back and forth. I had to mute everybody and say, come on, let's do the show, man, because this is very cool because we all work at – oh, Colin Gordon. What's up, brother? Colin, Ethos Genetics. Hello. Hey. So y'all work on the practical side of things, you know, the – you know, actually making the genetics and it obviously works. You obviously know what you're doing. Uh, so I thought we could talk and try, try to figure out the science side of this. Maybe we can uh, uh, ask the right questions to Christian and understand this all a little bit better. Okay. <laughs> all right, man. All right. Uh, yeah. I, I think we're all trying to understand it. They were all like, exactly right before we went on, this is everything we all have, no matter who we are is partial and limited and yeah. our experiences the bro science does matter because we only have so much data and honestly getting together with guys like this people like this and sharing stories yeah. is how i kind of move my own personal narrative along and uh, hopefully we'll continue to do that with this I'm excited. yeah some some of the stuff that i kind of learned or you know i want to continue to understand things like when your strains get weaker over the years uh, yeah. and then what do you do you clean them back up um and then the one was that intra plant is you know just in the one plant i want to know the best part to clone from uh that kind of stuff too and then genetic drift genetic <laughs> drift real science or bro science man how can genes drift <laughs> All right. So, so anyway. Christian, you want to start yeah. off as far as that? Guess, sure. Yeah, yeah, I can get into it. And yeah, if, well, do me a favor, man. Just real. I so, want everybody to introduce yourself. I want I want people sure. to know who you are. Right. So, right. Uh, just just introduce yourself and uh, yeah, just tell us where you studied. Cool. Yep. So yeah, I'm Christian Adamic. I studied at the University of Guelph. I just defended my PhD uh, last November, so it's been a couple of years since I've graduated. Um, and I'm in Southern Ontario, and it's where University of Guelph is. University of Guelph is the top university for agriculture in Canada, and so it's a very prestigious uh, school for doing any sort of things that are related to agriculture. Um, so I was very lucky to have such a wonderful opportunity and such a great facilities to work at, and amazing people. Uh, big shout out to, obviously, uh, 
um, my advisors. Um, definitely want to shout out to, um, if, and again, if you want to know more about what's going on in cannabis um, in Canada and research, um, for people who might know, it's actually federally legal here and there is a good amount of research. I can't talk too much on other labs, but from the lab that I've been in, um, we are doing absolutely incredible things that are really, really advancing and really just discovering things because again, cannabis has been, you know, limited to what we could do with it due to prohibition. And so now we have this opportunity to really dive into it and then apply new technologies that, um, you know, haven't been able to, uh, been, been used on to cannabis like other plants. So um, essentially, yeah, um, another, I guess I'll give it a little bit of background about, you know, why my passion is for cannabis. Um, I did use it medicinally. Um, that's really where my passion came from. Um, I have Crohn's disease. Um, and so for anyone who knows Crohn's disease, um, or if you don't know, I'll explain it. It's essentially uh, inflammation um, in your small intestines and it's caused it's autoimmune disease. And so um, there is no cure for it. It's just constant treatment. And I went on a vast number of pharmaceutical drugs and none of them worked, none of them relieved symptoms, but cannabis did. And so that's where I really started to see the value and importance that this is, you know, more than just a recreational drug. This is a medicine uh, if used appropriately. And um, it's really interesting that there are specific cultivars for specific illnesses. Um, and so eventually I actually had 30 centimeters of my small intestine removed because of the pharmaceutical drugs that I was taking, none of them worked. Um, and the horrible thing about those drugs is if you looked at the side effects, like you would be terrified. I mean, I was at risk of giving myself cancer and like liver failure and all these like crazy, crazy potential side effects to try to treat this uh, illness like microbes and none of it worked. And so um, cannabis definitely provided it. It's been researched and proven that it does have an anti-inflammation um, properties. And so that definitely, I imagine, helped a lot. And then on top of that, just the other benefits of mood regulation, appetite stimulation, and then other benefits like that. So it really was like almost a lifesaver for me. Um, and again, so that's really what drove my passion. And I really wanted to know more and you know share because I think, again, like I said, it really was limited on the amount of research and what we know. And so there's a lot of questions and it's clear there's benefits, but you know this isn't no miracle drug, like the proper research and investigations need to be done to really uh, promote it and, and understand it and use it really so yeah run down <laughs> wow and then how how serious is it treated in canada i mean it, uh, federally legal are they treating it like it's the next big thing uh oh. or there's a lot of research going on or what's the quality and you know are they serious about the research up there or what I would say so. Again, it's hard for me to talk about other labs, but I know in our lab, it's really, really growing quickly. Um, when I joined in like 2019, I think there was like maybe four or five uh, graduate students in the Max Jones lab. Um, that's the lab that worked with cannabis. And at that point, awesome. uh, we only had a tissue culture license. Um, currently, I think we have like over 10 students in the lab uh, working on everything. And so now we also have a license to grow uh, full grown plants uh, before it was really limited to micropropagation. And so now we're doing a amazing things. We're looking into triploids. We're looking to land races. We're looking at just morphological traits. So, you know, trichome sizes, seed sizes, and just right. looking at different cultivars and, you know, how they are different and seeing, you know, if, if there's any sort of patterns and what we can discover from from you know more research into the vast number of cultivars and different types um, of cannabis. All right, now you're types, the kind of DGC, man. Yeah. 
Is that what you got to call it, hemp? Well, so there's like the different types. There's five different categories of cannabis, right? So you have your like type one, which is your predominantly THC based. Then you have your type two, which is where you have CBD and THC around equal levels. Then you have type three, which is the hemp based, which is where, you know, um, in Canada, EU, um, and I believe states where they require 0.3 less THC. And it'll be essentially just CBD predominant, um, that's type three, and that's also what we term as hemp. Then there's type four, which is uh, where the primary cannabinoid is CBG. Um, and again, that's slightly starting to get more research. And it's really cool, um, starting to focus on the minor cannabinoids. And then there's type five, where there's like no cannabinoids at all. And so, yeah. So type five, I so. thought there was just sativa and indica, bro. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it goes deep. <laughs> no, it's cool that they're starting to, you know, they're categorizing this stuff so that there can be real science done on it. Right. Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, Brad, do you keep mothers? Are you are you somebody who keeps mothers for a long time? You're the creator of the Cherry Paloma. I mean, you've got to have uh, things that you work with, you know, specific strains that you work with long time, long term. Yeah, I mean, I definitely do keep moms, but uh, I feel like the question usually pertains to like, how long do you keep them? Are you like trying to keep the same mom for a really long time? Uh, For me, I think that it's important to cycle through because you can't provide infinite growth space. And so eventually you kind of cap out the available root zone and potential to grow roots without having to do like a a repotting to kind of reinvigorate the root zone. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's good to, you know, periodically take fresh cuts. You want to try to primarily get big, healthy ones from the top, right? You know, try to stay away from things that are just kind of thin and weak. And uh, anywhere where you can get a nice big chunker, that's usually good for me. And uh, yeah, I like to rotate them. And then especially just managing space and stuff. It's really hard to, uh, you know, keep all of the potential moms that you may be wanting to keep around like super big. So, you know, you might have to implement some like rack systems or something like that to kind of manage that inventory. But yeah, I think that it's uh, it's good to cycle them and just, you know, you want to make sure to keep your health up as you're working. Cause if you start to have unhealthy moms and you're taking unhealthy cuts, sure. you're not striving to improve the health, then you're going to eventually slide down. And you're just going to start to see poor performing plants that, you know, get weaker and weaker as you go, because you're kind of making it weaker accidentally with just poor practice. What is that? I mean, when I first started growing, they were like, oh, you can't clone from clone from clone or uh, it'll weaken the genetics. (laughs) And so, uh, Colin, you tell me, man, you've been in this game a long time. What's the longest you've seen a strain stay around? I have about a dozen that have been around since the 90s that are fine. Um, no issues. I think that as an annual plant, not a perennial, there's going to be some cuts that just for some reason over time uh, get weaker, probably amino acid production lowers. So they have the resistance lowers to pathogens and they become more susceptible to things like pythium and fusarium and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I think the concept of genetic drift, first of all, the term itself is misused. It's when a, a gene is lost, actually in a population that has nothing to do with this, but I think as plants get old, they probably acquire pathogens and low humol, poor rooting conditions, all kinds of different things can uh, create these pathogens. There's a lot of things you can do to grow out of those pathogens. Um, Probably the number one cause is just not enough humol and that causes pythium and that causes all kinds of other problems. Humol's light, right? Light. And what you're talking is epigenetics now. You're talking how the plant is actually treated affecting it. 
Uh, yeah, you know, also just keeping its immune system healthy. And because you, like I said, you have a plant that's it's in nature is growing in a cycle where, you know, the first, you know, it's only maybe five months old. And it doesn't have to deal with these things that we're putting it in, in these strange environments. I found that sun grown plants don't have any of these issues. Like I know people, if they're growing in natural light, plants don't get old. They only get old in indoor unnatural conditions from my experiences. And I've had cuts that had all kinds of problems before we had lab testing. And I swear every single one we ever try to fix, we fix the same way. We give it eight weeks of natural sun and then it's fine. <laughs> and then it's just, I, this, this is the most bro sciencey thing I'm gonna share, but it, it we would cut it down to a small oh. point, acclimate it slowly to the sun, get it into the sun, it would grow back out and it would grow out of whatever that problem was. And then we would be fine again. And now, there's also, you know, vi circulating viral load matters because there's all kinds of plants that have these pathogens and they're just repressing them and it's not expressing. And then you get something like another, you get a little stress factor, any sort of other stress factor. And now all of a sudden that that latent virus comes up and becomes a, a factor. And so amino acid production, keeping that up, uh, and and not having too low of you mole, not having your mom's overgrowing and getting all just nasty. I like right. to, I'll only take clones twice and I cycle out a brand new mom. I take it, the Pexel clone, start again. So by the way, you just said said something there. You take the apical Murray stem, right? You're taking the oh, tops, correct? Because I'm a breeder and I've read enough to know that it's possible to lose genes by not taking that. Having said that, my anecdotal evidence tells me it may not affect it that much because, you know, I don't care where you go. The Blue Dream clones, it looks the same and it's been cloned a thousand different times and I just got it back again. It's the same. And, you know, so and I guarantee people haven't always taken from the healthiest mom from the perfect place. So this goes back to every variety is different. And. I think some of them are just endure well. I think if it starts off as a not a strong rooter, if right away it's only to say six months old, it's not a great rooter, more likely it's not going to do great six, seven years from now. If something that's hyper vigorous and has great resistance to all these pathogens, it's probably right. gonna, it's probably going to endure. I, I like it. Christian, I'm, I'm going to consult yep. the doctor on it, man. Awesome. Yeah, no, it's interesting that you guys, again, it, it seems like the best practice and the most traditional way of renewing your mother plant is taking it from that apical end. Um, and that's really where my first paper uh, really kind of looks into and kind of investigates, is that really the case? Because um, something we know from a lot of other plant species is uh, the genetic mosaicism hypothesis and um, an understanding that mutations accumulate as the plant grows. And so as that happens, the top will actually contain more mutations than the lower regions. And that's just as, you know, a cell divides, there's a chance for a spontaneous mutation. And there's just more opportunities at that apical end because that has had like the opportunity to occur a lot more times. And so really like what the big takeaway from my first paper and like what we really want to show and like kind of promote is like a new best practice of potentially renewing your mother plant from actually a lower region. Um, if you're really looking to stabilize the genetics and essentially the term we use in the scientific world is a genetic fidelity. Um, fidelity is essentially like exactness. And so if you're trying to preserve how exact your genetics are, 
um, than you would be wanting to take actually from a mid or lower section because it has less opportunity to accumulate mutations. Um, so if you were to be constantly can taking I, from that. I ask, oh, now, yeah, if go ahead. we're renewing our moms every seven weeks. Seven weeks, okay, wow. Because if once I take two sets of clones, mm -hmm. I the quality of clone dramatically falls off and then also the workflow increases. Right. And it's just way easier and it's just what everything is more efficient in very, very fast mother turnover. Mm -hmm. um, I don't keep moms. That's just not something I've ever done. Um, not ever. It's been 15 years just because it was so difficult at scale to do. Interesting. Um, so I just I realized, I'm wondering if that age, if is this going to be more apt to more mutations because I'm cloning that mom, you know, seven times a year? I would assume so. Essentially, what you're doing is like you're promoting vigorous, like rapid growth as well, right? And again, like I was saying, anytime a cell divides, there is a chance for a spontaneous mutation. And especially as this annual species ages, um, repair mechanisms, so like proofreading um, the, the DNA and making sure that the DNA is, you know, correct, um, starts to deteriorate as well. And so as you are rapidly growing something, again, you have that chance for more, just there's more likely chance for spontaneous mutations because every time- I, I actually happens. just noticed that in general, growing from both seed and clone, mm -hmm. plants can spontaneously mutate when they're oh, growing yeah. at extremely rapid rates. Like if you go into a room where, you know, you're in week three of flowering and the fastest growing room you've ever had and the best room you've ever had, you're gonna find all kinds of odd growth, you know, throughout. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so- So what- to what degree can spontaneous mutation really affect, like, let's say the terpene profile? Are we going to see an event where it so drastically affects that it's like, oh, this is almost like a different plant? Or is it just mm -hmm. going to be like minute incremental changes just based on luck of the draw with the cell mutation? Um, so essentially... Um... I think it's cultivar dependent. Um, I think that's that's the uh, simple answer. And so, when the doctor says dependent, man, <laughs> cultivar. Um, on a case so, by case basis, okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so my sense, research essentially was investigating, yeah, if it's mutations and explanation because people have seen dramatic changes in their cannabinoid, um, in their leaf size, in their rooting like rates and stuff like that, and so. Um, they've seen this occur um, with their plants. And again, usually this is a case where people are keeping their mother plants for like five, 10 years or something. And they do that. Have you ever, do you have any examples of a plant where you've taken tissue and then the problems happened after and then you took it again so we could compare if, there, if there's a measurable difference genetically? Sorry, could you clarify? Do you have, a, do you, have you had any baselines to, to, to compare the, like when you oh. check these plants, do, let's say we have a plant that's, you say, 15 years old right. and there's a problem. And do you maybe try to get it from a different source to see if the that same cut presents yeah, the same? 15 year old plants oh, have some, some right. what do you call it? To have a baseline to see what actual changes have happened. Um, I don't have any experience, but I mean, I think you're still talking about is like with my first uh, paper, mm -hmm. within a single individual, I was able to identify genetic differences you know, from the location of where I took the um, the clone. And so wow. uh, that's what my really intraplant genetic diversity exists in cannabis. And it's something we do know exists in other species. And so my research really wasn't that 
you know, ground breaking because it's been seen in many, many other plant species, but it was the first for cannabis. So essentially, I was confirming that this genetic mosaicism hypothesis applies to cannabis, where each meristem that you have um, has the chance to accumulate different number and types of mutations. So each branch essentially can be accumulating different mutations. And so um, I know uh, Scotty really liked the example of the grapefruit, which was, I think, is really cool. So in 1906 in Florida, um, so this is called bud sports, and it's actually what's introduced many, many new cultivars and many different species. And so to bring it back to the grapefruit example, there's a farmer who had a grapefruit farm, um, and all the grapefruits produced white um, grapefruits, like the insides when you cut them up, they're white. However, one day he noticed a weird looking branch and some weird looking like grapefruits that they didn't look like the others. And so he grabbed one of them and he cut it open to it and it was pink. But the really interesting part was that this was only occurring on one of the branches of that grapefruit tree. And all the other branches contained the original um, white grapefruit. And so um, actually interesting, I believe, um, if I'm getting my numbers correct, before mutagenesis was introduced, because a lot of uh, people use mutagenesis purposely mutate your plant to give you new traits. Um, before that was really introduced, I think over like 33% of all patents were from these things called bud sports. And again, it's it's these random mutations that provide a new trait or a new quality that then you can patent as a new cultivar. And so um, it's definitely possible that, yeah, where you take your sample, it can be different, right? And so a different section on the plant right. might not have accumulated those harmful mutations. So you might get one like clone and uh, realize it's really crappy, but you get from another one from another section from another branch and that branch maybe didn't accumulate those really harmful mutations and it might be, you know, perform better. Have you guys ever experienced that Colin or, or Brad uh, re regarding, you know, one specific bud that comes out a little different or something? Well, I don't okay. know. That I, have. I, whenever I grew flow, the Colorado cut of flow, sure. I would have unequivocally different, ones in that room with slightly different bud formations, different brack to leaf ratios. I just thought that, yeah, for sure. And I just thought that was that plant. It might just be that plant. That plant might just be incredibly sensitive to you mole. And my one part of my room might've been more humid than the other, but I've always noticed that that particular plant would grow differently in the same room and show slightly different expressions. Other than that, I haven't, observe anything that i could say mm -hmm. for sure would fall into that you know category but it's hard to say i mean i i have clones that i could grow i could have two rooms i built identically right next to each other and still right. have grow come out differently where i have one room that always yields more than the one right next to it and i have an in that room always has a higher turf percentage than the one next to it and everything's identical uh, so I don't Recently, know if I, I don't know if I'd be able to observe the the subtleties of those changes. I don't even know if I'd be able to notice. Yeah, I know. Recently, I had uh, a situation that feels like kind of falls into this. I was running uh, my rainbow berry, which I've had for a really long time, super consistent, always does the same thing. And for some reason, I had like two branches on just one plant, all from the same batch, really. And this one just looked like apple fritter, but like all fluffed out and exploded. And it was super weird. The rest of the plant was completely normal, tight purple buds, uh, look like runts and apple fritter like it's supposed to, right? But this one branch that was sticking out the side was just like, uh, honestly, total garbage because of the way that it's, it seems sure. like this is like a mutation moment here. 
But yeah, it was just like fluffed. It smelled good. It was still frosty. But when you looked at it, you knew like this is useless. I've basically. definitely seen uh, divergent branches. I, I Almost every grower, I've had one or two that just will be, seem divergent and odd. But I just thought that's just because of the way the plant grows being autonomous, where sometimes a branch be cut off by the plant for whatever reason. It doesn't have perfect lighting or something. Um, right. I was thinking lighting and nutrients, right? I was like, something right. happened here where this plant didn't uptake or transport nutrients correctly, right. maybe. Right, right, right. And that's just a guess, right? Like, I'm just looking at it going like, this is an oddity. It doesn't happen very often. And again, all of the rest of the population was completely normal. So definitely just like a one-off kind of pain in the butt to look at. But uh, interesting to see, literally just like mm-hmm. fluff. <laughs> yeah, no, is that, that what really a spontaneous really... mutation is? Is that what that is? Is, is that like uh, genetic sounds drift? Like is that... And so, so bro, bro science term genetic drift, really what we mean is spontaneous mutation? Yeah, it's, it's yeah, essentially it's the the stability of the genetics kind of deteriorating essentially. Um so, so hypothetically, if mm-hmm. um let's say I would mark all ten branches of a plant, clone all ten branches, right, grow it out and Let's say I do this with all my plants, and then all of a sudden I have one of these plants do that. What you were just saying, it's it's different, right? Mm-hmm. If I grow out that clone from the branch, that branch, right. is it likely to have grow out now differently? And can- yes, okay, yeah, cool. yeah, no, for sure, yeah, yeah. Um, and then to also hit back with um, that weird branch that um, that was seen, like that fluff that you're mentioning again. Um, it's really important to highlight that mutations are much more likely to disrupt gene function than improve it. And so, while I was telling you this cool grapefruit story, and like you know, a bunch of different cultivars, different species have really benefited, right. and like new cultivars come from this. It's really important to know that with genetics, it's so much easier to again like really mess up the genetics than like have a mutation really improve it. So, again, you're much more likely to run into the case where it's harmful than beneficial. But yeah, beneficial is grown from seed at scale, you know, like about eighteen thousand a week, and so we were able to observe mutation for the first time really at at that level. You know, it was like one right. one five or so out of a thousand. And very few of them were appealing at all. It was just like, oh, that plant sucks. That, yeah. one, that one sucks. That one sucks. Right. Yeah. That's a seed thing, right? And that's, I think, why we do clones is we're trying to keep the genetics as consistent and stable and, like, you know, as possible. With seeds, you're getting that recombination effect, and you don't really know what you're going to get from your seed, um, right? So the seed yeah, is having I, sex, I, right? I know what I'm getting from mine. Maybe not yours. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, if you, well, you have 18,000 seeds, I mean, they're all going to be much more different than if you have a mother plant and you're constantly taking clones from that. The seeds just yeah. introduce a lot more yeah, genetic that's variability. That's just how... uh, yeah, I, I, what we're going for is, um, it, well, what we were going for in that is, is it's, it's similar enough, meaning yeah, that uh, the, the differences weren't that dramatic. And if you put it all in the same bag, it's, you know, the, the turfs were pretty much the same, things like that. But that's right. also why we're doing this project with Happy Valley and Medicinal Genomics mm-hmm. to truly get everything stable to where right. you know, the IBLs that I was doing, this is the ones we've tested to send out, they're down to one pheno and one expression and, and the mutations are extremely low. Like if I do a hundred plants, I probably won't find one. Mm-hmm. Obviously at that larger scale, you know, we're going, right. it's just, you're going to, you know, but um, I, we're, we're getting pretty close as far as cannabis yeah. relative to say tomatoes and other. Right. That's, that's the most ideal. 
like growing outside and then having cannabis grow outside, I think that's really, and especially here, at least in Ontario, our electricity prices are insane. And so we have these facilities that, you know, their fees are out of this world. And so not a lot of ag models, models running no. from unless they have to like apples, right. avocados, things like right, that. Right. Um, and then to touch on your point, I come at it more of a medicinal cannabis kind of uh, perspective. And so while you might have seen like some slight differences to a medicinal patient, that could actually be significant if you're, you know, having your terpenes again, and, and we're finding out the minor cannabinoids do have a lot of value, but they're very sensitive and they're very, very low concentration. And so if you, you are having these subtle little differences, well, to a medical patient, that actually could be significant. Might be difference. Yeah. Wait, exactly. tell me about that, man. I got to pop in there. If you've done research, we always talk about the other cannabinoids and the entourage effect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Man, yeah. Uh, drop some science for me, doctor. What do you got? <laughs> I mean, it's still under investigation, and I think um, it's only really starting to boom more recently, at least. Um, and I don't know enough on it, so I don't really I feel like I have um, appropriate to dive into the details. But like you said, I mean, we do know that entourage effect, and we are discovering that, you know, civic cannabinoids are um, able to treat and provide uh, benefits, medicinal benefits for specific uh, illnesses. And so, um, so yeah, the, the breeding... I, I can say also... That just from smoking a lot of pheno hunts. Um, nice. You can have two, two seeds that almost look identical, grew identical, sisters. These are oh, about the same, smell almost the same. Smoke both of them and their effects can be dramatically different. And we just don't know exactly why this or how the, this entourage effects works. And they might even test similarly. And they just have a little bit of difference, a little bit of difference here, but it's so dramatic. Or, one can ha can have such different effects than right. the one right next to it. Exactly. Well, the cannabinoids, like the minor cannabinoids, we're talking about like zero point one percent, right? Well, you got your like you know twenty five percent THC, but you've got all these like little minor cannabinoids with like zero point one percent, zero point zero two percent, or whatever, and all these like very very again, they're less than a percent difference, and so. Um, hey. But it well, can a lot of us powder you need, man. You ever seen that little baking powder will screw up a uh, a cake? I noticed a lot of CBG actually shows up um, in pretty, like, we'll get two, three, sometimes even 4% CBG in a lot of our cuts. And then the other stuff is usually in that 0.1 to 0.5. But mm -hmm. we're noticing a lot of even TCV coming up a lot in that 0.1 to 0.2 range. Right. And clarify there's like from last time i checked like over 177 different types of phytocannabinoids and so we you're talking about well over a hundred cannabinoids and again we really yeah. focus on those thc and cbd but you're ignoring the hundred plus other ones and again these are such minor percentages but they are significant and then again the more research and more investigation needs to be done but we are seeing signs that they are significant and important so well there's no doubt i've had several <laughs> anecdotal experiences that make it unequivocal unequivocal for me how much that say terpenes can affect the high where i've actually mm -hmm. had different terpenes mixed with cannabinoids same cannabinoids and the high was the effects were completely different but even something with like volatile terps that gets slightly too dry and all of a sudden the, the effects completely change sour diesels like that in colorado because it's so dry here and mm -hmm. now people that like think the sour d kind of sucks it does be, because it's hard to maintain that moisture to keep all those terps in. And like, that's easy to do, say, East Coast or West Coast. Here it gets a little too dry, and all of a sudden it just, it's not even good. It's, it's, it's weird. But it's, yeah. it's, it's, there's a lot of sensitivity to, to the what what is that? effects. 
Yeah, a big part of that too is just the canvas genome is very heterozygous, and what that means is it's again the two copies of the the allele can be different and usually are, and so you know you don't really have that stable um, genetics within cannabis, and so that's also what you know breeders are really working towards, and so um, I think that will really really help with the stabilization of those minor cannabinoids. And yeah, how do you guys? How do, how do you all deal with that? Is I mean, as far as genetic diversity, is that where the IBL comes in and all that stuff? Well, so for me personally, you know, I have some varieties I've been working on for 10 years-ish, where, you know, we're on six and eight rounds. And there's only so much we can get done by eye. We're, we're down to one pheno by eye. But it's that's why we're going to medicinal genomics now and we've sent to get sequencing. So we can actually match up the, the last of the differences to get the alleles to completely match so we can get a genuinely, you know, homogenous yeah. variety. And then we're doing that with several varieties. And then once we cross those to each other, that's when we have the true, what's a lot of people are advertising as, but I haven't seen one yet, a true F1 hybrid where all the phileal of those two parents are one phenotype. Mm -hmm. a big part of my thesis, I also- going over my head. <laughs> Something I also like with my thesis. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, we had a, uh, a super chat jump in. I was going to take the opportunity just to uh, address that real quick. Hey, guys, if you guys have any questions out there and you want to uh, ask any of the guys on the panel, just go ahead and drop a super chat. YouTube's given us the ability to do that now. So if you want to do that, and we have one here, if you guys don't mind, I can go ahead and read it to you real quick. Yes. Yes. From Hoopsterdam, we got, can these traits be isolated via the clone or tissue culture? What do you guys think about that? <clears throat> so, um, I'm not sure exactly specifically which traits he's talking about, but let's say when we're pheno hunting from seed, whenever we, we will clone and culture that to keep all those expressions in our program. If that's what, what that, you're talking about. What was that mapping thing you were talking about? The genetic mapping. That's something that we're we actually sequencing our varieties. It's like mm -hmm. dude, so crazy expensive. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> Can you do that too? Is it yeah, um interesting question. Thousand dollars around. Mm -hmm. Each round to how much? How much? Sixty thousand per round. And how is that just sample? because that's, the volume of plants that you're testing? Know, we got a huge discount for that. Yeah, Christian, can you sneak them in, man? Can you just sneak them um, in the university? <laughs> no, don't worry. Oh, the university. Oh man, when they know you're you university, they charge you extra. Trust me. Oh man, ah. uh, <laughs> it's not cheaper. What is here. genome mapping about? What is that, Christian? Um, so essentially, when you are sequencing, so you have your DNA and you sequence it, you then map it to a reference genome. So um, essentially, you have you know the, what I did with my first chapter was do whole genome sequencing, and so you know I sequenced the whole genome and then from that essentially mapped it onto a reference genome to see you know where um, to essentially stop like a to put it it's together baseline, right? Scotty. it's baseline a, right it's a baseline it's, it's a baseline it's a starting, it's a starting point yeah right what makes up cannabis and right what, what what I could sequence a different variety and have a different baseline than he does how different how different well that comes to different type. that goes back to different types so you could yeah. have type one type two they're going to be also yeah. depends on the reference genome you use. Right. That's another big thing too. And so right. that's something yeah, that I'm really genomics, which, which did like Jamaican lion and, and have yep. uh, Phylos that did, I forget which one they, they did. Phylos. But there's CBS or CS10, there's Jamaican lion, there's purple Kush, And then and I so, think there's but a few there's nothing like there's dramatic differences. So like yep. if you're trying to com uh, compare your variety to their baseline, it's 
going to lack a bit of accuracy unless it's the same type and things like that, which is why we're sequencing our own and we're actually doing our own gene, you know, mm. genome sequencing. Because once we get into it, we realized we can't use Jamaican lion or whatever the other ones that have been sequenced to actually sure. to actually right. stabilize our varieties. We have to do our own sequencing. Doesn't that um, hurt though that it's intra-plant? There's different genetic that you know, there's that yeah. genetic diversity within the plant. Jeez, can it make it any harder? <laughs> yeah. You know? Genuinely yeah. hard. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, genetics is super Genuinely hard. <laughs> very, very hard. Help help mm-hmm. me become a better grower here, man. Okay. We I, I asked Colin, he gave me a great answer. Uh, you have studied this stuff. You've got the, the genome mapping ability. Why mm-hmm. do you think that strains lose their vigor year after no. year? I've, I've, I've heard some of the, the, yeah. the reasons. Very interesting. No, exactly. And so I specifically, for my first chapter, was looking at somatic mutations. Somatic mutations are, are mutations that are in the, like the germline, the sex like um, process. Um, and so that is what I investigated. And from my research, it seems like it is a possibility that an accumulation of these mutations could affect a gene function. And then there's two other areas where you can look at, which is epigenetics and the accumulation of viruses and viroids. And so those are the two other sections that I didn't investigate, but are very possible uh, to cause, you know, traits to decline. Um, and so and to clarify, I guess, uh, if anyone who isn't aware on what epigenetics is, um, that is essentially the alteration of the expression of DNA. So you have your sequence, which is your um, your nucleotide bases, your uh, CG and your AT. And so that's the sequence. That's like the order of the base pairs. Epigenetics comes in where it um, can slightly modify on how the DNA is expressed. And what that can do is upregulate or downregulate um, gene functions. And so the DNA isn't changing, but the expression is. And so the two main ones with epigenetics is um, DNA methylation, which a methyl group is attached to the DNA, which then again changes the expression of certain genes. Again, the Dude, you're going to be quizzed on this, man. Upregulated, downregulated. <laughs> and, then, um, and then the other one is histone modification, which uh, histones are little protein structures where the DNA is wrapped around. And so again, with those two, the uh, DNA methylation and histone modifications, they're not changing the DNA like sequence. The code, but they're changing expression. And so again, that can be influenced by environmental factors. Um, And so, you know, things like I think aging and just um, environment, um, again, there's a lot of things that can influence it, wind and temperature, like a lot of these things can turn genes on or off. And so um, that eventually could, I think, influence on how your clones are performing. And then lastly is the virus and pathogen way. And so as as you have a plant longer, there is more opportunity for, you know, pathogens or viruses mm-hmm. to occur. Question. Yes, <laughs> the dude in the back. I, I, I totally like understand I. all of that. But what I really <laughs> want to know, do my plants enjoy the fact that I play nature sounds for them? Yeah. You know? uh, <laughs> yeah, that's epigenetics, man. But wait, right. you're saying epigenetics it actually will switch genes on and off. And do we have Correct. any kind of example? I was trying to think of an example of something where that happens. Temperature. Uh, how about in humans? Is there something we can relate to as far as uh, like oh, getting purple sometimes or not getting yeah. purple? You know, Bringing maybe it's probably pretty anthocyanin uh, expression through temperature. Stress can bring out anthocyanin mm-hmm. expression as well. I have I have one perfect for you. Um, the my I I, I say, uh, kind of as a joke, we all have a little bit of cancer. It just depends what happens in your life and if it expresses itself. When my mother in law yeah. she got cancer, she was going through a divorce, stress, oh. 
extreme yep. stress and like that's just an, a human analogy i think i would say yeah nice or what can do interesting do different things with plants while i have the mic for just a sec this has been yes, awesome sir. i've been sitting here learning with you guys i do want to shout out to the dgc cup coming up uh june 1st you dgc producers since we're live banner put some new tickets up in patreon for you for vip and vip competitor and i want to remind y'all if you gotta grow why not upgrade it save some money go to dudegrows.com forward slash pros that's where everybody's listed at. And I should have mentioned, uh, Brad, I think hopefully we're either going to see you or JR. I know we're going to see JR at the Cup, but we're going to have some of your genetics uh, there. Last yep. year, yep. I know, Colin, you guys stepped up. You had Ethos and our VIP goodie bags. Hopefully we can get some action from Ethos yeah, in the DVC Cup, and uh, especially Colorado local. And, uh, yeah, that's all I got, Scotty. You can you can take it back to class now. <laughs> ah, tight work. You know, I love this. Grambo, you're recording this, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. That's <laughs> great information. Don't want to lose this Brad, one. Thank you for helping me because, uh, yeah, I'm hanging I'm hanging on here, but uh, I am learning a bunch. I, th I think I can dumb this down for, for me to understand. But So epigenetics, of co course, environment, uh, viruses, pathogens. And then you said something, Christian, about recombination and just right. the unnatural life cycle that these plants right. have. It's supposed to be an annual. We got them growing for 10 years. Tell nope. me about it. Yeah, no, it's actually something I'm really passionate about. Um, and sadly, I and a lot of scientists don't have the exact answer, but there is being investigated more. So essentially, Growing scientists are now deep. investigating the repair mechanisms that are, you know, the differences between an annual versus perennial. Um, and my own theory and my own thinking about it, um, why would an annual invest in resources, genetics, and, you know, the ability to really focus on repairing its genetics if it's only going to live a year? In that one year time span, Ban, like it won't really accumulate enough mutation to really be a concern for it naturally right and then so you have perennials where it would make sense for them to actually invest in some sort of a more you know resources and genetics into dealing with those um mutations and that mutational load right because it's going to work a lot longer genes in a perennial that help that battle and oh, so again actually find the cannabis annuals that are able to right they might have that gene. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. this is very cultivar dependent. And so certain cultivars might have that genetics where it is, it has an increased in DNA repair mechanisms. And so that's usually what's really causing a lot of the mutations to start really getting out of control is when a plant age or when anything ages, its ability to proofread the DNA and make sure there's no errors and actually fix those errors really starts to de decrease. So I believe it's a uh, polymerase, I think two, I believe it is. And so again, it's yeah, a, it's so, and so essentially that starts to decrease and that will then lead to more accumulations of mutations. And again, um, the exact genes and the exact mm -hmm. mechanisms is still really under investigation and there's still a lot of debate on, you know, what these mechanism, mechanisms are and if they even exist because um, no one really has like, oh, the specific gene is really like, you know, this is, right. you know, perennial right. and this is missing an annual. And so again, it's really under investigation, but my gut instinct, again, like I was explaining, right, why would an annual invest into that too much when it really doesn't have to naturally, right? And so We're not resetting it either, right? Just because you yes. take a clone from a clone, you're not resetting those genetics, right? No, exactly. Same with micropropagation or tissue culture. It's still right. going to have the age and may not transfer all the pathogens though. And I feel like there's a lot, yes, to right. learn. there's a lot to be learned there because I think some pathogens can come through in micropropagation. Yeah. So that's another, well, I, it's I've the only seen way from, 
from my friends doing a lot of tissue culture that definitely things can make it through. That's why like you got to keep rerunning and rerunning and testing and testing. Really? Yeah. And then even after you think you've got a beat, sometimes, you know, like those things will pop back up because they're still just kind of lurking in there. So. Right. There's a good old fashioned outgrowing it. Which we tried, which worked where we, uh, it was obsolete and viroid where we just took a plant, let it grow quickly in a hydro setting, remove the, the side branching, and then just took a fresh cutting and it, the the viroid actually didn't have time to even cycle go. quickly right many yeah. cycles back to back yeah, it didn't have time to get to the apex it was all in the roots yeah yeah that's really cool how long till gene editing comes along how long till you can yeah edit? someone just said it, yeah. it said in the comments that cameron crisper coming soon I want yeah. so, yep. there's three so our, our mag we have ethos magazine we've interviewed all the companies doing it yeah, um here. so they all the companies currently licensed to do it because you need a license uh, haven't officially launched any cannabis. They've only done hemp so far, mm -hmm. and they have isolated the PM uh, gene that that allows, I guess, the, it to proliferate. Proliferate, and they are removing that. And um, really? I know that. Yeah, I know that within about a year, there's going to be stuff available uh, in Canada and Israel, mm -hmm. where, where it's uh, completely PM resistant, and as well back full circle to the uh, triploids as well. Um, it, they're making that easier to work with versus not needing a quad ploy and a diploid or quid ploy. Is it quad ploy and diploid? If I could, if I could buy a PM or slash more bud rot resistant strain, especially as an outdoor grower in British Columbia. Rot, they don't like, know that, which genes it is yet. And they said that that's going to be way, way more difficult because that was the one I was most interested in. Botrytis, they can't prevent that right now, but they can stop, really? they can stop PM completely. So that it's is really PM systemic then? PM is systemic? Nope. Still not systemic. It's still not systemic. Uh, <laughs> the people who freak out about it and are like, it's systemic. I'm like, listen, it's... It's mode of operation. Very common. What Christian, I'm just my doctor, this on this Yeah, I want to ask Christian, when we talked about on the show recently, powdery mildew being... Mm -hmm. In a sample of one part of the plant, obviously, but not the other, but it's still not systemic. To me, that sounds like it's in the plant, in it, but it just moves around. The fungal, the hyphae network moves around. It's maybe in some leaves, but not others. Or not. It's just hmm. creepy. Yeah. <laughs> Could also just be the genetics on certain branches, right? The genetics on one branch might just be different. More where... resistance? Yeah, more resistant. It could even have acquired a beneficial mutation where it becomes more resistant if, you know, one single branch isn't really, uh, you know, getting the PM, then um, it's a possibility. Um, so uh, the thing is, again, with the genetics, it's nice that at least there is like um, genes that are been mapped with like PM and stuff and that we're able to actually like um, be aware of them and know what they do. Um, but something like um, bud rot, I would imagine, again, and a lot of other issues, it's not going to be like a single gene. Then the genetics again is super complex. And like, so you could be talking about several genes that are actually influencing it. And so it becomes a much, much more complex issue. Um, and so, and then even how upregulated and downregulated the gene can even be a factor too. Again, um, genetics is super, the, super complex. The PM so. thing they found uh, in a different plant. I, I, I don't mm. remember which plant it was, but it's, it's a, it's public domain as far as the, <laughs> the gene that you can shut off uh, as far as the PM thing. That's, that's the they're able to do that. Yeah. yeah. Cool, man. When are they coming out, Pretty man? Cool. Brad, when, when are you coming out with your PM uh, resistance? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to get uh, get some genetic sequencing going for sure. Uh, I know a lot of people have asked me like <laughs> I know over a the guy. years about it. 
I always say, I'm like, man, I like I didn't know the price tag. I just know it's very expensive, but it makes yeah. sense that to really get to the the goal of a lot of these projects that you would have to see the things that you can't see, right? You'd have to have tangible knowledge on like how to line up the correct things to, to get the result with the minimum variation without losing the unique factor, right? I'm gonna so, say this like yeah. I've known this for a long time. You have to match the alleles. I'm about six weeks yeah. into that knowledge. Uh, I I remember learning that a long time ago. Didn't really exactly know what it meant, but right. that's what the sequencing is doing. It's matching up all the alleles. So to mm -hmm. yeah, we're trying to get to ninety to ninety nine percent. So how do you guys do it, bro? We already we decided that uh, uh, there is degradation after a while. After you know, if you keep the mother going for a long time, uh, how do you like Colin or or Brad? How do you guys when you have something tired? How do you reinvigorate it? the back crossing or selfing or are you talking about breeding i'm talking about what you have an old, old, and, and yeah an old cut okay. let me address those separately so if i'm just trying sure. to revive a plant the first thing i do is i take a cut and i start over with a small plant okay um, and you want to make sure you want to give it a, the maximum amount of you mold that can handle all the way till it grows out because often just not enough light it could have been the problem Hey, what, hey um, you know what? Screw it, man. How much light, man? We'll talk PPFD. Usually you can use your phone. How are you measuring? Yeah, how are you yeah. measuring that as well? Uh, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so different environments. All right. So in, in veg, um, I'm typically going to be between probably about 350 to 450 UML, um at, at canopy. Also, okay. I don't have a I don't have a very deep canopy, but I'm I'm ramp my way up. I don't go up more than 25 UML over 45 or 48 hour period. So I'll just okay. you know, every few days I go up about 25 UML, give or take, until I hit about wow. 350 to 500, depending on the plants. Certain plants don't want that much, and you have to just mm -hmm. listen to your plant. That's a real thing. Like yeah. Bubba, Bubba Kush and Lemon Haze want very, very different amounts of UML mm -hmm. in their 24 hour period. So you give Bubba Would Kush flowering though, in, in flowering as well, in both unequivocally. Oh, dude, there are some varieties. Like I was talking to this farm and. Uh, Arizona, they're able to flower GMO in eight hours over winter because it does so well in low U-mole. Um, Bubba Kush does the same thing. There are some plants that do not want that same amount of U-mole. They don't get better and stronger, you know. So there's just understanding your plant itself. And then if you're not in hydro, I suggest seaweed. Just simply a nice seaweed additive. It has all the amino acids you're going to want. And um, if, if it is struggling as far as recovery, that'll help a lot. Yeah, what is some product that has seaweed and a bunch of amino acids and I'll just get a raw, high-end raw, high raw seaweed. I'm shouting out Real Growers Recharge, man. Oh, the, oh great. I got yeah, it yeah, all yeah. in there, yeah. baby. I got it all. But the next step. Yeah, but, uh, but seaweed, you, seaweed's man. amazing. Seaweed's great. Absolutely. I was going to comment quickly because we just yes, covered this on the show, Colin, when I'm reading guides. Mm -hmm. PPFD and UML, I think around the same numbers, like – they're saying a CO2 enriched garden, um, or DLI it was, CO2 enriched garden, uh, you should be running 800 or actually, you know, a thousand plus yeah. PPFD. Yeah. And I'm like, man, that seems strong as hell when I'm in there looking at it. I know my yeah. eyes don't see exactly what the plants see. They um, seem to dig it. I've been... Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that 800 to 1250 is, is the range that I found that, that works yeah. really well. Okay. Uh, the wow. ones that don't like as much are, are 800. That's, you know, and you're going to get, a lower yield and a higher terp and higher THC, for sure higher terp profile. 
uh, at about 1,100. That's where I think most plants peak. But I have to say, you have to get them there. You can't just take them from the bedroom and bring them into a thousand U-mole in the flower. You know, where it, there's a three-week period where I'm taking them from about 500 to 1100. And there's no big jump. What's so, your distance right. from canopy on that? As far as uh, depends on the structure, depends person. on the room because different fixtures line up differently. I'm four, okay. almost four. I'm on DLI right now, Dutch Lighting Innovations. We're like three and a half foot with our spread. Um, but it really depends on the fixtures. And what did you say as far as numbers again? Yeah, I like to be at a thousand minimum. I'm axing. Yeah, eight hundred. I'm sorry. When you dial it up, because I have a, I'll have a problem. I'll go in there and I'll you know, dial it up a little too much, and you can burn the plants really easy. So what did you say? How, how much you go up uh, on your meter? No, no more than so in edge, no more than twenty-five umol over a forty-hour period, and in flower, no more than fifty umol over a forty-hour period. And you're dialing up in the beginning of flowering, right from day one? From veg until day 15, I'm dialing it up every couple of days. Got it. And Christian, and what, are you, what are you doing with uh, it, when you are measuring your, uh, when you're doing your experiments? Are you doing indoors? Is there a specific light you yep. need? Light, amount of light? Oh, uh, yeah. So um, didn't really look into the, that as much. I mean, I have the details on my paper and stuff, but we weren't really looking into the light effect or anything. But uh, to shout out another uh, alumni, a student who was at the University of Guelph, grad student, a master, uh, Victoria Rodriguez, um, she actually investigated the effect of like increasing the um, UMOL. And essentially, it shows that like, once you reach around 1,000, the benefits really just level off. Really going over 1,000, 1,200 um, really isn't going to do much more. And again, if you're considering costs and electricity, um, it's pretty important to know that, yeah, that around that 1,000. Again, but it is cultivar de dependent. And so you might have right. some that actually really love light. Maybe they go up to 1,500, right? Um, so again, it's, uh, thousands uh, there is research out there. And I like so 1,000. If, if, yeah. if you're shooting for a number, yep. I like that number a lot. Same, exactly. And yeah. so, and again, that's what the research shows. And so if you Google uh, Victoria, like cannabis light research, you'll see a uh, research peer reviewed paper that was published by her. And so she has that data there. And so she shows that you can see a nice little graph where like, you know, there's a, you know, a linear increase, but then once you get to that um, thousand range, it just levels off. Beautiful. Sorry, man. I'm, I'm looking at the time and I'm thinking there's one other thing I really want you to help me understand or all y'all. I know all y'all know about this, man. Triploids. I'm seeing something that uh, I think it's Humboldt Seed Company is promoting a triploid. And I really don't know what that is. Cannabis is as diploids. Is that right? I don't go. Who, want, who wants to take it, man? I'll just give a little shout out, I guess. I don't know that much into it. I investigate it intensely. Um, however, my lab currently is very, very in the works of it. So we have multiple grad students who are actually investigating triploids. And so um, they're looking at maybe, you know, seedless cannabis plants. And right. And um, currently, actually, if you look up um, AMP um, Jones on LinkedIn, he actually has a really, really cool picture that he just posted a few days ago about he has uh, seeds of triploids and then seeds of diploids. And these triploids are like, double triple the size and so uh really really interesting um and so what's i know he's a different genetic or a different gene or what does a trip work? Oh, <laughs> we don't I have the answer i think so i uh interviewed um darkheart and they they have a pretty extensive program there um and they're they have multiple cultivars now they have a they have a quad uh ploy and they cross that with the diploids and then they make triploids 
Which what, are what is a ploid, man? What is a ploid? So it just means two parents. <laughs> we have parents. Parents. Okay. Copies, so again, the number of copies of the DNA, essentially. Yeah. Like two a diploid, you have like two copies. Triploid, you got three copies. Right. Right. So, triploids is have that a mutation. That's a. It's a kind of a freak thing that happens in nature. Yeah, the, the, Mac one, the Mac One uh, cut is a triploid. And uh, I've, I I learned this the hard way, trying to pollinate it. And it is difficult. It is like see this water. Very difficult. You're gonna get every like, once in a while. You, you get a few right pollen. Right. You get a few right the right really? pollen. You, like but like the type uh, of the pollen seemed to matter because I had some uh, pollen sure. I would got zero seeds sure. and then with other pollen I would get like a thousand or a couple yep. thousand or just depended right. But like I did see that the type of pollen you used had a lot to do with yep. how well it would interact with that plant. Which was poorly all around. And mostly, also, but. even when you do pollinate it, uh, I even noticed in the cluster, if you get a cluster of seeds, only one of those seeds develops, and the three or four right around it are incredibly white and immature, just like a seedless watermelon. And so I have another cut that was uh, that I made, uh, or I got, that was made with Oreos and Mac, and it that triploid bred, because that one is the same. So... That's so the triploid will breed through if you have what we this think? is the first the example I have of that happening. Uh, with dark heart, they use quad ploys with diploids to make triploids. Yeah, that's what we so did. So four plus two equals three, four right. plus two divided by two. It's made. what's the end result, man? What's what's it going to yield? Uh, see this watermelon. You, you can grow outside and not worry about being cross pollinated by random stuff. That's but it's not completely cool. seedless to clarify, like they're, they're talking about, right? Like just like seedless it's watermelon, like sometimes seedless you'll run into one, right? And Way so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, again, then there's a lot of questions with triploids. Um, there's a lot of potential for them. Again, and you're adding another copy of that genetics. And so you could really, you can have really interesting traits and new characteristics with that. And so um, again, my lab is has students that are right now researching it. And so um, even one uh, member there, Teske, he's looking at like the trichome size from triploids and looking into like concentrates and stuff like that. And so triploids might actually have higher, like larger uh, trichomes. And so that would be really beneficial for concentrates. Trichome heads like or larger? Trichome very head, good to know. Yeah, I think both, I think. Um, and so- oh, yeah. Well, that would be huge because right. breeding, breeding large trichome heads is the number one problem I have getting consistent. Just for, for bubble hash, you know, and rosin. Everybody. <laughs> yeah, 100% of good cuts are herms. I'll just start there. 100% of, for some reason, I, there's a gene that makes huge trike heads and big fat herms. But it is very difficult to, like, breed. So even if I get two great hasher, two big trichomed uh, plants, I breed them. I don't necessarily, all of their offspring don't have that same trike head consistency. Yeah. Well, with Hunt. Yeah, Still with trichomes, you're introducing even more var like variety or variability, right? Like cannabis is already really, you know, has a wide range of characteristics and morphology and stuff like that. And then when you're adding another copy of it, you really increase that um, diversity of traits and stuff like that. And so ideally with triploids, you know, you'd really want like stable diploids and stuff like that, which then and get a stable quadroid and like really you want to try to stabilize the genetics before you really dive into triploids because triploids again like we already see cannabis being very you know different with like just the different types of seeds and so um that's definitely something in the works because uh, you know we want something stable and already the cannabis we have now is already like, not too stable and so uh introducing it's that not at all. Copy, <laughs> yeah no exactly and so literally not um, at all yeah no not at all exactly yeah and so adding that extra copy introduces <clears throat> some more difficulties but again under investigation there's a lot of potential 
potential benefits and and other like you know species we've seen triploids provide a lot of benefits and so it's it's definitely worth looking into as, a, we'll seed, soon. as a seed breeder who like i'm we're breeding for scale uh with company massachusetts happy valley we're, we're making you know millions and millions potentially billions of seeds to be grown outside um we're not doing triploid stuff now but once we stabilize the varieties we have we're going to be looking to get into that just because it makes sense yeah that's how you do it outside yeah but that's probably two years away for us for us at least there and you know you'll see a lot of new research coming out right from universities and other people about more information about triploids there's a lot of questions still with cannabis triploids right and so yeah no it'll be good in two years you'll have a lot more info but biggest advantage is is that they uh uh they can't get seeded outside not not as easily and not as easily yeah again it depends on what you're looking for some people might be just looking for that bigger trichomes or maybe tri like a triploids might grow uh they might actually flower quicker and stuff like that and so there's yeah and there's there's a lot of things and traits that uh, triploids can provide and so i guess it depends on what the person really wants to get from that triploid so yeah there's a lot of things that can be beneficial I, I, the one last thing man is i know it's it's all sometimes it's controversial i don't i don't know man but feminized seed can we have a conversation mm. about feminized seed is it still controversial this is 2008 because of, because <laughs> of podcast longer okay when i started doing podcast because of herms man because of you, herms. people are still saying you can't even breed with feminized seeds they don't even make babies uh yes. you know no it's it's the herm thing man everybody's well, yeah, herm trade because, yeah because of the, the way the people made feminized seeds for 10 years they used herms they used bad Her, selections herms breed herm <laughs> when you right. intentionally <laughs> choose hermaphrodites to breed yeah. it's going yep. to breed hermaphrodites right. genetics breed the way they breed sometimes you don't know you get cross a and b and they just don't work well together but whether it comes from male or female stock Certain genetics do well with herm traits and certain ones don't, regardless of how they breed. And if you're using herm traits, like was literally taught in Holland 20 years ago, well, then you're going to breed herms. The other thing is potentially uh, silver thiosulfate, because it's systemic, might have epigen epigenetic responses and then cause plants to not uptake ethylene properly and then have a, an expression of a herm which is why i don't use the silver thiosulfate now i don't think one usage would probably do that but if you use a variety that that comes from silver thiosulfate and now you use it again and the next person uses it again it's probably going to create potential herm traits because and, go ahead i'll just if, if people don't know the the uh her, feminized seed you're taking a female plant you're giving it something like silver thiosulfate or something right so turn it to the genetics and, and make it a mess mess with the, it's not messing yeah. with the genetics it might okay. with genetics what it's doing is it's blocking the ethylene and ethylene okay. is what a plant needs to flower <clears throat> without ethylene it defaults into producing pollen well it also prevents I, again I, I used to know it better but it prevents like the y chromosome from existing right all your seeds then are xx chromosome right that's dealing with like the sex chromosomes and so sure. a female is xx and so that uh, i i thought that the that point one percent they used to was myth but then once we started growing at scale we actually did find a couple males here and there per thousand okay right 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 yeah yeah it's not perfect like about one per thousand two per thousand yeah yeah and so yeah i know yeah it has that ethylene effect but then yeah it's really suppressing that 
Y chromosome, like the male chromosome, from appearing. Um, again, I well, no, but what I'm saying is the plant that if I'm breeding and I'm using mm -hmm. a two, if I'm going to breed two females, I have right. to make one of those oh. produce pollen so I can then pollinate the other plant. Right, right, and right. so then producing at scale, I have to reverse a hundred plants to pollinate a thousand plants to then, you know. Yeah. Uh, so that's actually forgetting the pollen. Uh, and mm -hmm. so my uh, contention with the silver thiosulfate is because it is a systemic ethylene blocker, it may make that expression come out the line um, from those plants. But I will say, even people I know use silver thiosulfate, certain genetics are going to do well, certain ones are not. Exactly. Yep. So, that's cannabis. That, that's the number one thing. And if you try it out, test it, and what works works, and what doesn't doesn't. That's that's the main thing. Yep. Is there something in genetics that you know if, if you map these the genome that you're gonna say, oh, this is responsible for uh, hermaphroditic qualities? Yeah, I'm pretty sure there is a mapped hermaphroditic like uh, <clears throat> so there is like a you know a gene that is responsible for hermaphrodites, and so um, that is carried over. Um, uh, but there like, are different types of hermaphroditic expressions. So yes, there's exactly. like, expression, right? Like we'll go bro science like those there's nanners that come late, you know, yeah. the <laughs> and stuff like that, which used to be used for breeding. Then we have the bells <laughs> and balls. The ones that I hate are the ones day 18, the ones that are halfway down the middle branch, you know, third growth node down. I think those are the most the most challenging ones to breed out. And I think they <laughs> overtly have genes. Some of the nanner stuff, I feel like if you some stuff uh, continues to produce ethylene all the way, say, through date 100, 110, never nanners. You can breed that late nanner thing out by breeding it with something that can flower long without having that issue. Because most plants, if you flower them, say, two to three weeks past their ripeness, um, they're going to then throw out, you know, male flowers. What do you want to call them? Right. And uh, that's because they've stopped producing ethylene at that point. Yeah, I love that kind of the biology and science of that. I mean, like the plant essentially is getting so stressed out. It's like, I'm not having sex. I need to have sex with myself essentially so I can survive, right? right? And that's what it's really yeah, doing. Right. And so- Carry it, the it, torch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, no one else is going to do it. I'm going to do it myself. And so, um, it, you know, it's, it's a there. Cool biology aspect of it. There's um, also when, a, you know, we talked about rapid growth. So rapid growth creates herm traits herm expressions so if you have out let's say you're outside and you have a canopy going and you have a female that's just outgrowing everything it's super rapid growth it's very likely it will herm and then femme and pollinate everything around it is that because the hormone levels are just running so much harder the on that acid production general? is so high that it creates these crazy long internodes and i've just seen this in really nice dialed in hydro systems where people actually running from clone and get herms they're like, I don't get it. I've run these three times. Um, this is stress response, I guess, right? I think that's where it really comes yeah. in. <laughs> Extremely rapid growth. You're going to get weird. You're going to get all those uh, just odd little growth patterns. And, and sometimes you get fasciated stems and all these different things when, when you have extremely Those rapid. are annoying. It's yes. like flat, crazy yeah, yeah, yeah. stems. It's like, as yeah. soon as I see that, I know this plant's trash. Yeah, whatever. I'll just it. take yeah, this yeah, thing, throw it to the fucking garbage, get Bye -bye. it out of here that or any of those like uh i love the way they look like those morphed out cookie plants like ogkb type of stuff i think yeah. they look awesome but they, they are so slow 
instantly eliminated. I have never seen that any of those morphed out plants lead to being like triple A keepers. They always hold the garden up. They ruin your numbers. They waste your time. They're pain. So anytime I see any type of weird mutation or where the stems are growing odd, I just know that people do not desire that in a commercial setting or a hobby setting. Right. So they like, you have to steer away from those terrible things. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 but like I said, the more rapid growth, I see it more commonly. It, it just certainly just some it brings it out. And if you, and like I said, same thing with very, very rapid growth, sometimes you can get um, herm, herm expressions. Um, that so. would be <clears throat> that's somewhat epigenetics, right? The way it's 100%. Well, think about it. Let's say you're in the wild, you're a female, not you, but the plant. Could be. Could be. Let's say you there's feral, feral Scotties in the field. Say right? I am. And you're just doing fabulous. You're twice as tall as everybody else. It makes sense. You're obviously, your genetics, loving that substrate. You're loving that environment. You're thriving for a reason. So therefore, your genetics should then proliferate, even if you're a female. So that female will then throw out a bunch of that feminized pollen. And in that big field, you'll get a whole circle of, of femmed plants within male-female plants. Never yeah. thought of it like that, but that's, yeah, that's a really good point. That's I read about it in a book yeah. in, from the 1990s from growers wow. in Kentucky, how they were talking about how their crops, if they let the seeds fall naturally and grow back out, would be very different than if they actually planted seed every year. Yeah. And they showed about every five years, they'd get some <clears> that grew crazy tall would, wow. and then pollinate everything and there would be a feminized crop the next year. Wow. Hmm. And just yeah, to so highlight just plants, yes. plants are awesome. I just want to show it right? again because I was they not are, really planted until, so you know, my undergrad and they are absolutely amazing and just astonishing their abilities and adaptability and just they're somewhat someone would even say smart um and it's just crazy and so it's awesome to learn that so thanks for sharing you guys got any favorite authors they i I do the audible books it's not hard to consume really good information when it comes to plants being amazing monica gagliano is is amazing stefano mancuso you can just yell these into your phone and there's uh, amazing information about the plants being sentient, you know, being able to, and maybe that is it. I go into a bad environment, man. I get pissed off. I don't know if I change my sex, but I might weird yeah. out a bit, you know? That's why, that's why they like the music, right? Yeah. They, they can communicate through their root systems. Uh, ones in beds. If you have plants in beds, one, a plant on one side of a field, if an aphid, you know, hits that leaf, all of the plants in the field know that an aphid hit that leaf and they contact each other. They talk to each other through the mycorrhizae and through the roots and communicate. So if they can communicate, it would make sense to me that, well, they have, they're susceptible to communicate. If if you spend time in nature, it's loud. Like (laughs) nature's not quiet. It's the crickets and birds. And you know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah, it's actually, there's a lot of music. You know what I mean? That uh, example really reminds me of something that's really cool. I forget the uh, plant species, but there's a species in Africa where um, if a gazelle um, comes and starts chewing on one of the plant's leaves, yeah. it communicates through the root system to all the other plants that it is being under attack. It will actually produce a new chemical, like a secondary metabolite that actually prevents um, like digestion. And if the gazelle comes and eats that next plant, it will actually block its stomach and like not be able to digest and potentially die. And so it's really, really cool. Um, no, so, yeah, thanks for well, I grew up in New Jersey where we had holly trees and holly trees grow normal leaves. And if something comes and bites one of the leaves, they grow out 
prick, like actually prickly oh, leaves. Wow. Like the next yeah. set of leaves have pricks on them, but only if something bites on it. Yep. All right, cool. They, they tell all their friends too, right? It's so cool. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. it's. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad I got guys like you, um, a doing the work, Dude. and Chris, Christian, you actually doing the research and. I shouldn't say we're all doing research, man. Exactly. Grow sixteen thousand seeds and plants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're doing research, man. Yeah, don't, uh, don't ever. Yeah, but it's, you know, like not like you know. Oh, just I just want to say like bro science is super important. Um, again, like my thesis was based off of bro science, so don't right. ever think you're you know I'm not a scientist because I'm doing bro science. Like no, like my thesis is because of bro science. I was reading forums, I was reading like well, what people were doing, what people were seeing, and so that really what led to even my research. So I just really want to make sure that people know, we like, you know we're all scientists, we're all investing. We're not being self-deprecating. There's just observation over time by competent people. Yep. yep. But let's call that what it is. Now, there's a lot of bros out there that are regurgitating a lot of things that they heard didn't actually experience. But there are a lot of bros out there that have a lot of years of, of competence and observation. And that it actually does count for something. We just may not be able to quantify the why. But we know it's happening. Right. Yeah. Super we can figure out that it's happening. Right. And probably figure out how to fix it. We just don't know exactly what's happening. Right. We <laughs> missed the step. We got the parts. Yeah, right. Yeah. I love it. Guys, this was cool, man. I'm going to be back. Let's give, it give yourself some shout-outs, man. Today, man. <laughs> Heck yeah. Tell us, like, I don't know what you got going on, Colin, as far as ethos. Um, you know, you said you have the magazine. Uh, you do some yeah, podcasts. So like, yeah, let's get some magazine. You. Uh, you can just go to ethosgenetics.com and uh, read articles. It's a lot of educational stuff like that. Our big project right now is with Happy Valley uh, Dispensary in Massachusetts. We're doing a massive breeding program with them, being able to breed at scale, like I said, doing sequencing. And actually, you know, we're supplying, we have now seed for ag at scale. You know, we have both autos and photo periods for for the big boys, you know, the bit, you know, and so we're looking to do the, you know, the big acres that we have a bunch of, you know, four to seven acre plots that we're going to be working on. And next year, some 40 and 50 acre plots and supplying all these, you know, the big, the big boys, once we have actual seed that's genuinely uh, stable, you know, ag stable, all the big licenses, when I say big, the publicly trade licenses, they have to switch over. They, they're mm -hmm. failing so badly they're losing yeah. so much money yep. the current model does not work and they don't have employees and they don't have the ability to get competent people to run a sixty-five thousand square foot mom room like this one company work with they have a sixty-five thousand square foot mom room <sighs> that's like a nightmare to me like that's like ugh, i wouldn't want to have <clears throat> what is an acre Forty-four thousand square foot yeah. doesn't seem that big anymore, does it? I got 20 it's, acres of bamboo, and I don't have a very small nursery. When it comes to keeping moms, like we talked about earlier, it's the hardest thing in cannabis. And you need multiple trained people because, you know, you're taking 58,000 clones a week, right? That's how many you need. So what if your moms get pythium? What if you get one pathogen in that 65,000 square foot mom room? Uh, everything about it freaks me out. It's, uh, it's, uh. it's not natural. Not natural, yeah. So, like, <laughs> they need speed. They know their ROI. They need speed. So we're, as quickly as possible, which is still very slowly, trying to genuinely, genuinely stabilize. So by next year, we're going to have actual stable stuff that these companies can grow and all be the same. And, yeah. And uh, other than that, I'm just having fun actually making autos real weed. 
That's like, you know, making what? Wait, what autos are real. Like, <laughs> this is be okay. So, keeping it real amongst people who know weed, that's just how I explain it. Like, if I have to explain to the public about our the qualities of auto flowers, I explain all the qualities. When I'm talking to my friends, I'm like, no, it's real weed. Like, and they, they get it. Like, they know what that means. And that means well, it's. it's it's good. It's turkey. It's, it's, it's not. It's not some fugazi hemp-like thing that is almost like real weed. And I seen it, man. I agree hundred percent. Cortez turned my head with it, man. Exciting thing. Yes. Oh, exciting thing in the Jones lab, actually, we're looking at uh, autos and like finding ways to actually start like having ways to breed them. Because I think breeding autos is a really big issue. Um, as breeders, you can probably elaborate more if you wanted, but yeah. And so our lab um, is actually looking at potentially having a way for breeding autos. And I think it's related to the triploids, uh, but again, I, I don't exactly remember. I've been breeding autos for 15 years. Really? Yeah. But is it like the problem, like you can't really see the traits until it's like really kind of grown out, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, you have right. to do a ton of them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, right. it turned out to be, that's the, the great part about it. Because when you grow from seed, mm. right, you have variation. So not, so you have to reverse a bunch of plants and then flower a bunch of plants and then pick the ones after which yeah. ones you're breeding from. Now the first few rounds gets kind of hard, but then it starts getting pretty good. And actually now you're getting consistent. And so I'd say we'll do 30 plants. We're only breeding out of one of them. Well, if you keep doing rounds, you're always going to have one that's way better than the rest. After five or six rounds, you're it's, it's, we're already there. I mean, our, our actual autos are testing higher than our photo periods now, both in terps and, no. and cannabinoids. Okay. Uh, it's consistently testing above. It's it's a different breeding process, but um, yeah, it's hard. It's, like it's time consuming, right? Right. I thought you have to cross them four times. Con three, constantly moving three. forward. To, to, <laughs> to make a new auto flower from a photo period, you need three rounds to to, to stabilize a, a, a recessive yeah. a recessive gene. So the auto yeah. flower, the auto is a recessive gene. So if I take auto flower A and cross it into gelato, the offspring of those are going to be all photo period. They're not autos. Right. But I cross two of those into each other. Twenty five percent of those are autos because that's a recessive right. gene. Right now, from those twenty five percent, I cross those into each other and we have an auto flower. Is it three? Yeah. I think I heard yeah. it was like five um, for breeding. Again, I, I, this well, is just memory yeah, things. Probably to really lock it three. in. Pop level. Yeah. OK, cool. It's three. And you can I always hear three to four also. What's oh, interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I you always hear also three, three to four. So, Brad, you got any? I, I tell you what, thank you, my friend. Uh, I will ask Brad for a proper shout out. And before I do, are you doing autos? You have any interest in autos? I know it's very polarizing. I, I am interested in autos because it does seem like they've gotten a lot better. Um, I haven't been looking to do the work specifically myself. I was kind of looking at partnering with Night Owl and we're kind of talking back and forth about you know, because he specializes in it. It's something that he's going to have the experience. I'm going to have to kind of develop my procedures based off sure. of, you know, speaking with other people. And I don't really have that. So I'd want to be able to come out the gate with a, a better product that more matches what we already do. And I feel like for me to give you my first auto flower attempt is probably not going to be a very desirable experience. Who knows until we were to yeah. try but yeah, so in the short term, I've just been looking at uh, partnering with people who specialize in it, it's and then we can take some apart. Yeah, I because I, right. I really care about delivering a quality product, and, and there's I, some like, people you've been out doing there. it for 15 years. Oh, right? There's some so people like, out there that are really, really good at it, 
There's just most people aren't. And the vast majority of people who sell autos are just buying them from people like me who are just mass selling White labeling them. Random yeah. bags of they'll buy yeah. literally anything that says auto on the bag at 80 cents a piece. So yeah. it's like, all right, here's a, here's, you know, random. The white label game is savage in seeds if only people really knew. <laughs> I mean, I've been doing Brad, give yourself Give yourself a full shout out, man. Where can we learn more about you? Where do you hang out? What do you got going, man? Yeah, man. Join us at discord.com slash raw genetics or rawgenetics.io or rawclothingco.com if you want to get some fresh raw gear. Uh, but yeah, just join the community. We've got new drops coming out pretty much every week, constantly doing new things. And uh, this year, we've really taken an emphasis on doing pollen drops with the public. So we've already done three and we're pretty much staging a bunch more feminized uh, releases. So as we go through the year doing the work that we would do, uh, now we're spending the time to get the pollen dried and, and doing kind of promotional releases of that. So I know people have been really excited. You know, we like to promote more people getting in breeding and uh, taking a, a swing at it. You know, it's something that's been so much fun and just brought so much joy to me personally and so you know it's nice to be able to help shortcut the process and give people like a quality starting point nice what it what is it uh february 5th 2024 the first time i heard the term pollen drop right <laughs> <laughs> no that's think about it yeah seed drops wow that's pretty cool man so then you can yeah. just pollinate what you just kind of paint it on specific buds that you want your seeds on i heard people use no you can buy there. pollen he's He's literally selling. Yeah, but you still have the pollen. Actually, the flavor, we right? we actually don't sell it. We make it just a promotional item because it's not something oh. that we can really warranty properly. So yeah, right. we'll do what we're doing is quarter grams of dried pollen. So far, it's only been feminized, but we are looking at doing maybe a traditional one as well. And then, um, you know, maybe we put a minimum purchase. And so you just have to make the minimum purchase or whatever sure. the promotion is. And then you'll get the pollen. We still do a promotional pack of seeds. And then the thing you're buying, you always get. And there's not an issue there. And then if there is an issue with the pollen, because there's a big learning curve for a lot of people on that, we do what we can to help teach and educate people on how to, you know, handle it and use it and stuff like that. But, um, but yeah, it's been interesting. And, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of people making all kinds of really cool things that, you know, I'm not going to make those things. Like they're not yeah. my taste. It's not a market thing. I don't have those cuts. And so I think it's cool to, you know, really broaden it. And then people tag us and they're like, look, we're doing our own projects. And I don't know. I mean, something about helping bring up the next generation of breeders just seems like a great thing to me. So I don't know why people discourage other people from doing it. I think it's great. Yeah, right. man. Yeah, we gotta help them out. Help, help me understand. Uh, it's you're taking pollen. You get a little quarter gram of pollen, and uh, you're just putting it on some individual buds, and that's where you a few seeds. Yeah. So basically, if you get pollen that's dry, you just need to get some female plants. I'd say a good target is about day twenty-one to twenty-five for most plants. Okay. And then you just want to take a little bit of pollen. It takes very little. And I think a paintbrush is a popular approach um, just yeah. because you can kind of control a little bit. And you just need to rain a little bit of pollen. And I think that your best bet would be to like just pick a plant you're okay with everything getting pollinated on. Apply a little bit. 
over several different days. And that will allow you to kind of layer in those seeds and get yourself a nice healthy return. And then you'll have, you know, your first project under the belt. You'll get some cool fem seeds and you'll be ready to uh, maybe go again or at least, you know, show your friends the cool stuff that you're, you're like can grow your own stuff for real then, you know, which is pretty rewarding. Yes. Yeah, so like how long does the dry pollen like last? Like, does it eventually like kind of go bad essentially? I, was, I, I would say yes. Yeah. So Very there creepy. seems to be a drop off somewhere around like three or four months. Yep. Um, I personally haven't pushed the threshold. I really believe in trying to always use fresh pollen just for consistency. Pretty good peer reviewed uh, studies on can on actual cannabis pollen, specifically oh, cannabis nice. pollen. Um, and it showed just exactly three to four months. You have a really, really good window. And mm -hmm. uh, it's actually difficult for them to tell the difference between alive and still fertile because it stays alive for a while after that, but it's not necessarily fertile. And it's very difficult right. to tell whether the granules are fertile or not. So three months, good window, six months, pretty good window. After that, huge, huge drop off. Yeah, Order big drop off. So many granules, even if it's only 10% so viable, that's plenty. Yeah. Because well, if you want to get fancy too, you can cut the pollen, right? You get yourself yeah. like the dried cornstarch or whatever flower, flower that people yeah, yeah. use. We we don't do that because I don't want to like dilute it for people. But you can right. always take that that pollen. We spend like literally almost two months making sure it's hella dry, and then you know you can cut it, you can stretch it out because it literally only takes one grain of pollen to interact with one pistil, and you're going to generate right. seed. And so that's why I always tell people like. You want to not go too crazy with the pollen. Be very sparing, and you can spread it's so out. Much. Yeah, it's so spread much. it so far. You can yeah. make yourself thousands of seeds, and you'd just be like, "Whoa, what's going on here?" You can literally you know, but see it. It's hundreds. So if you yeah. could see what you're doing, that's hundreds <laughs> of granules. Yeah, so, and yeah. most of them will get lost, right? Yeah, like so you happen and like that. maybe a few contacts. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, uh, man. Respect, brother, respect. All right, now, yes. last shout-out is to my doctor, my new doctor. Christian, what's up, <laughs> brother? Give yourself a proper shout-out. Let sure. everybody know how they can learn uh, a bit more. You've got great information out there. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, Christian Damick. Again, I just defended my PhD in November. Um, start, starting to look for a job now, actually. Uh, I think I kind of took December off with the holidays and everything. And then, um, actually, in January, I started a project management certificate through Google. And so I'm almost completed that. And currently kind of seeing uh, what's out there for job opportunities. Um, if you want to connect with me and, you know, ask questions, learn more, see what's going on in Canada and cannabis research, um, I can, you know, let you know what's going on, at least in the lab that I was with. Um, so you can add me on LinkedIn. That's where I'm probably the most active on. Um, and so, yeah, that's me. And, um, yeah, again, I just also want to shout out, um, thank you for inviting me. And thank you, Colin, Brad, for the awesome information I definitely learned. And I also love learning. And yeah. so, uh, yeah, just shout out Likewise. to everyone here. And so, yeah, thanks, everyone. It was a pleasure, and this group was great, man. I learned a ton today, and I really appreciate it, man. It's good to have friends, man. It's great to have friends. This is cool, yeah. It's it's fun. It's, it's just we're so blessed, man. I don't. I'm not trying to be like trite, you know what I mean? But like we're yeah. It's, the, it's, what we're doing like, is amazing. To be able we're to old enough to know that we didn't think we were going to be able to do this. I was told actually you know I, mean? I would not be able to do this in my lifetime. That's what I yeah. was always told. Like, no, 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 that's never going to be. You're not going to do that. Oh. And then look, you know, here we are. It's so much yeah. fun. It's so much fun. This plane is so much fun, man. It's I so agree, fun. man.
I agree. I'd be watching it. My wife will want to watch TV and I'll watch a movie or something. I'll be like, dude, I wish I was like either in the grow or thinking about grow or, you know what I mean? Something, man. In, in the like, world of self kind of standing there, like staring at your plants. <laughs> Literally. That's what I was trying to explain to a friend of mine. Like, you know, I was like, I have so many hours of doing nothing in a grow. I have more hours of doing nothing in a grow than most people have ever had in a grow of just staring, oh, yeah. fully happy and satiated. Yep. And just looking, standing and, and staring, looking, just music on. Sometimes Spot. music off, but I could drift for two, three hours in that room, and all of a sudden just kind of snap out of it. And it's like yeah. it's it's in the world of like I said, we're, we're tethered to cell phones and things like that. This plant keeps me, you know, that's nature. My ballast. In. <laughs> yeah. Respect, man. Respect. I love it. I had a good time. Just looked on upping my game. I think um, Christian said a Google project management certificate. Mm -hmm. I think I could sure. go one of those. Up the Dude Grows Show game. Yeah. yeah. That's, it's good. It's a little lengthy. I think it's like around, they say around 240 hours. Um, so it's, a, yeah, it's a little extensive. It's pretty intense, <laughs> but um, I definitely getting a lot of benefits from it. I mean, I, I did develop a lot of project management skills in my grad school. I also like, I led student groups i was a phd represent for my entire department and like i ran an entire symposium and so i've got those skills but then like you know this google certificate gives me actual like templates and tools and like the actual proper you know official way of uh, being a project manager and so um it's definitely really useful again it's organizational skills leadership and just like managing you know sure. multiple projects and so yeah i do Are we hiring it. scotty <laughs> no, let me ask you so uh so you're looking to do something in commercial agriculture you would manage you know a center pivot yeah. or sections you know hundreds of acres that would be the project that you would manage um yeah so i kind of open to what i would actually be managing the project um and so you know ideally i'd love to stay in some sort of genetics and like research base um but you know i'm very open to just any sort of ideal i'd love to stay in cannabis i don't know if you guys know about canada's uh canada's cannabis industry but it's not doing so hot um, right, it boomed right. and then absolutely trashed and the big problem was that research and development is the first jobs i get cut and so it's uh something that i originally wanted to get into research and development but um i started to pivot more to a managerial position and something where I could, um, one, like, you know, more generic and isn't just focused in genetics. And then two, I can actually apply my skills to other plants and species. Um, so I was, you know, so I'm looking into it. Two years, like there, yeah. the, everything was set up incorrectly. They were, everyone was set up oh, yeah. in Canada. Don't even get me started. I know. California is a nightmare. Give it about yeah. two years, it'll start coming back around. and, and It's starting to, I think. Almost. Uh, once again, yeah. they need what we're trying to do. We're, they need to be growing from actual homogenous seed when you're, yep. and it, it's, you have so many people like uh, we, we dealt with, you know, Canopy and a few of these other companies and mm -hmm. the, the, the scale of it is, is so dramatic and right. it's the lack of talent. There's a lack of employees, too many moving parts. And they just too much set up money really big without even knowing how to start from the beginning. And it's just right. it's impossible. If people don't understand the upscales. People are like growing a hundred plants. It's like, all right, now grow 10,000 plants. It's a different story. And, like, and I, I, think, I remember going to 5,000 square feet a long time ago. That was such a big deal. And like five and 10 is maybe the same. But then I had friends who did like 60,000 square feet. And I was like, oh my God, that's a different animal. But then I saw 200, 300. Now we're seeing 1 million, 2 million, 40, 40 acres with a million square foot indoor. You're like, uh, yeah. yeah. Who's running that? They're like, we got a yeah. guy. Have fun with a pest break. Do what you do. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Guys, this was awesome. I appreciate it. Will you yes. all agree? Thank to you, everybody. Again. Yeah. 
everybody loves this team. They they love the uh, uh, the crew today. The chat's going crazy, man. I appreciate, so I appreciate it. it. Thank you, chat. Yeah, again, thank you, obviously yeah. everyone here, and then thank you, chat, for all the listeners as well. Appreciate it. Same. Yeah. Brad, Colin, Christian, Grambo behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Always, boys. Always. Tight work. All right, boys. Well, till next time, I learned a lot. I got to go listen back and take notes. <laughs> but uh, damn, till the next time, boys. Take it easy. Sounds good. You too. Thank right. you. See you guys. Later. See you in the next one. Absolutely. Ah, that was cool, guys. <laughs>